If you would turn in your Bibles or you can open in the, um, the bulletin to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, this morning, I want to encourage you to endure in your faith. I want to encourage you to endure in your faith. Why do I want to do that? Well, because whether it's in your ministry or your work, uh, whether it's in your family or in your friendships, whether it's in um, whether it's with the providence of God or maybe with your personal holiness, the temptation to give up the faith it comes at us from a lot of different angles, a lot of different places. Okay. And we're not immune to fall away as, as, uh, as followers of Christ, to pick up our toys and go home, as it were. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen, happen not only for uh, professing believers in, a, in an assembly like this, in a, in a, a church setting, but I've seen it happen, uh, uh, I've seen it all around, where people, professing believers, simply decide it's time to give up the faith. And as sobering as it is to admit, even for leaders like, you know, like me, like David, like others who are in a leadership position, there are times where giving up the faith appears to be the more attractive option uh, to faith. And so today what I want to do is from this text, a, a fairly familiar text, is simply in, to encourage you to endure in your faith. Okay. We're going to skip around a little bit. For the sake of context, I want to read a couple verses in chapter 11, uh, the, the beginning of chapter 11. Then we're going to skip all the way to the end of 11 and, uh, and read a few verses into chapter 12. So let's, as we have this in mind, that I want to encourage you this morning to endure in your faith. Uh, let's look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And this is God's word, and it's our rule for faith and for life. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Now, verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Let's ask his blessing on our time. Our God, uh, we do come to you now in a, um, a, a, the time of the worship service where we open your word together. And it is a, a, a time that is vital in the lives of, of any believer. And so we would pray for your spirit to be present now among us. 
that your word says that those who delight in your law, who meditate upon it day and night, that they are like trees planted by streams of water. Uh, our Lord, that would be our prayer then this morning, that as we meditate upon this passage, uh, may we delight in it, and may we indeed be as trees planted by streams of water. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Okay, I want to begin by asking the first of two questions. Basically, what we're going to do this morning is the outline of, our, um, of this sermon is going to come down to two questions. Okay, that's going to form our, our, uh, uh, our outline. The first of the questions is simply this. What is faith? Okay, we're not going to spend as much time on this one as we are on the second question. But let's make sure that, we, uh, that we're defining our terms, that we're speaking apples to apples here and not the, you know, apples to oranges. So I want to define what faith is. What is faith? Now, the writer of Hebrews, he famously uh, says, and back in verse 1, he famously gives a definition of faith. He says that faith, in verse 1, is the assurance of things hoped for, that it is the conviction of things not seen. Okay? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. When I, uh, when I have the chance to... Um, to, uh, to serve the Lord's Supper in a church, sometimes I, I say something along these lines, and I've served it here before at Grace. Maybe I've said this before to y'all. Um, but I say something along the lines that, that faith is hard because you have to believe in something that, that isn't seen. And that one of the kind mercies of Jesus to us in the sacrament is that He gives us something that is seen, something that, is, that we can touch, that we can taste, that we can smell, okay? And I think he does this in part to remind us of what we cannot see, okay? And this is a real mercy to us because faith is very, very hard. As the writer says in verse 1, it's conviction in the unseen, okay? Now, since conviction, or since faith is the conviction of something that is unseen, Faith can be vulnerable. And this is why we all need encouragement this morning to endure in faith. After all, most days, it is far, far easier to believe in something that you can see, something that you can smell, that you can taste, that you can hear, that you, you can touch, than it is in something that you cannot. Okay? Makes me think of, um, of our dog. We have a, a dog, a Boykin Spaniel, if you're familiar with that, um, uh, with that um, particular breed. Her name's Penny. And one way that Penny um, tries my patience uh, incredibly is when we take her for a walk. And uh, nothing particularly complicated, just, just putting her on a leash and, and going for a walk down the street. And as smart as Penny is, our dog hasn't figured out yet who is walking whom. And um, as much as, you know, you think that just when the leash is sort of slack and it's kind of dangling, you know, casually between your hand, be between your hand and her collar, you would think that that would be something that she would enjoy, that that would be, you know, that we would mutually enjoy the walk when it's like that. That's not the case for her. The world that she can see, the world that she can smell is too much for a hunting dog. And so to her, you know, choking herself to get to that next smell or to get to that next, you know, that next squirrel or, or whatever it is that she might see, it's just entirely too important for her. 
The idea, this unseen idea of a relaxing walk just simply isn't something that, uh, that she, can, she can understand. She's controlled by her senses. Okay, we know that temptation, that temptation of the seen sort of pulling us ahead of the unseen because things like sickness and, and death and you know, injustice and abuse, those things are very, very real. And they make faith very, very hard at times. So by its nature, faith can, can stand in a very vulnerable position. And not just for those who are outside, um, you know, outside uh, a room like this uh, who profess faith but even for many of us inside this room as well. In other words, not only for those who profess faith who are maybe on the outside of the church, but even those who profess faith on the inside of the church. Okay, it is hard. If you're familiar with Jesus' parable of the sower, okay, then you would know uh, that the world and the flesh and the devil, that they choose no favorites when it comes to taking advantage of a professed faith in Christ. All alike. All alike are in their crosshairs. So faith is conviction in the unseen, namely Jesus and his gospel. That's what it is. That's, that's answering our first question. And that is the first step to enduring faith is understanding indeed what faith is and that it is hard and that it is something that is by definition, it's in the unseen. Okay. For the rest of our time, I want to answer the second question, and that is this. How does faith endure? Okay, It's difficult, faith is. It's vulnerable because it's in the unseen. Well, how does it endure? Clearly, if you look at, uh, at Hebrews 11, um, if you were to... I'm, I'm, I'm assuming a little bit that some of you here are going to know the bulk of, uh, of, of what Hebrews 11 is all about. The Hall of Faith, sometimes it's called. It's a, it's a, it's um, basically um, um, it's teaching us or it's showing us, it's illustrating for us all of these people uh, in the Old Testament, especially who who lived by faith in that sort of faith uh, that Chapter Eleven begins with. Okay, and we see then uh, clearly from this chapter that genuine faith does endure. The writer says that the people of old were commended for their faith in all sorts of precarious moments, in all sorts of sticky situations. God's people believed God's promises. They believed in the unseen, despite all of these various moments that they faced. Reminiscent of James's mantra that faith and works go hand in hand. It says, if you look uh, in verse 39 of chapter 11, it says that um, it says, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Okay, they were commended through their faith. The faith of, Abra the faith of uh, Abel and Noah, the faith of Abraham and Moses, the faith of countless other saints, by God's grace at work in them, their faith endured, despite its vulnerability. And then as we get to chapter 12, we see the sort of effect that these saints are to have on us. As we look today, as we look to endure in faith, we see the effect, the sort of effect that these saints are to have on us. The writer describes them uh, in verse 12 uh, as a great cloud of witnesses. Okay? 
And I think in some ways here, the, the text, uh, the imagery here is athletic. These witnesses, they, they provide us this sort of ultimate and home field advantage, you might say. They have led the way, in other words, and now their faith, their example, example wildly cheers us on in our own faith as well. And keep in mind, you know, they led the way in faith without the object of their faith ever becoming sight, right? It said that. I, I just said it a second ago, verse 39. Uh, and all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive uh, what was promised. None of them, in other words, knew the name Jesus. They had only the expectation of him that God in somehow, some way, was going to answer their prayers through a coming one through a Messiah, okay? But they died only that simply being unseen. They never knew the name Jesus. They died believing uh, genuinely still, despite not ever knowing Jesus or seeing Jesus. If you look on the front of your bulletin, I want to read that quote from John Calvin. I think it's really helpful in, uh, in making this point. Again, we're talking about how does faith endure? Our second point. How does faith endure? Okay, John Calvin says this. If those on whom the great light of grace had not yet shown showed such surpassing constancy in bearing their ills, what effect ought the full glory of the gospel to have on us? A tiny spark of light led them to heaven. But now that the sun of righteousness shines on us, what excuse shall we offer if we still cling to the earth? Okay? If they were able to bear their ills and they did not know the name Jesus, how much more so should we now that we have seen Jesus and we see how much God so loved the world? So how does faith endure? Again, this is our second question. How does faith endure? Well, ultimately, I want you to know that it is by God's grace. Make no, no mistake. Genuine faith endures in the believer because greater is he who is at work in the believer than he who is at work in the world. Still, as believers, we have an active role in enduring faith, not a passive one. Um. We own, in my family, we own two cars. We have a Honda and a Toyota. And we bought a Honda and a Toyota mostly because of their, their stellar reputation. But we still have the responsibility to maintain those cars. Have to change the oil. Have to rotate the tires. When those 90,000 miles are up, you know, you got to change the timing belt. Okay? If, I'm, if I want those cars to last, we have to do those things to the cars. As believers, God endures our genuine faith by His good grace. Still, we have the responsibility to maintain that faith through His Spirit's work in us. Scripture makes this very, very clear that we have a responsibility. And it's our role is an active one. It is not passive. Knowing this, the writer of Hebrews, he doesn't just tell us to endure passively. Let your faith endure passively by God's grace, and then he doesn't just close us in prayer after that. Okay? He gives us something that our hands, uh, that our hands can hold on to uh, in order to nurture this sort of active, enduring 
faith. Looking to the saints of old as inspiration, the writer says in chapter 12, he, the writer gives our hands two things to hold on to. Okay? And they're written as commands in the English language. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. And then he says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus. So according to the writer, enduring faith is best nurtured when with one hand we are laying aside every weight and with the other hand we are uh, that we are that we run with endurance looking to Jesus. Okay? So again, we're answering the question, how does faith endure? And endures when we do these th- when we do these two things, we lay aside every weight and we run with endurance. So first, we lay aside um, we lay aside any weight that burdens us if we're going to run with endurance. I live in uh, I live up up the road or down the road I guess it is uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, and I live on a street where I see runners a lot. And when I have seen runners running down our street. I don't recall ever seeing a runner that is overdressed. Okay? Runners lay aside every weight so as not to be hindered when they run. Even in winter, it's not so much about warmth as it is just, you know, uh, about throwing off any sort of hindrance uh, as, as, they, uh, as they run. And so it should be with enduring faith. That's the illustration here. We lay aside every weight. The writer uh, modifies the words to be more clear. He says, uh, he, he says, we lay aside the sin which clings so closely. I like the way, I like the image of the NIV. If you have the NIV, it says the sin that easily entangles. So we lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily entangles or the sin that clings so closely. We all know that sin is, is no ally. To the Christian. Rather, it's a Christian's enemy. In the same way that runners lay aside even a coat on a cold winter's day so that they're not going to be weighed down, they're not going to be hindered. So, our first call with one hand as believers, right, with this, that we lay aside sin as believers if we're to endure uh, in the faith. It's putting off the old self. That's the language that Paul uses uh, in his writings. Uh, it's a task of, that the Holy Spirit himself empowers us to do. Now, to be very clear about something, Jesus Christ is our sanctification. Okay? We will stand in glory and count it as holy, not based upon our merit, and, and, but based upon his merit alone. Still, as Christians, we have the responsibility to pursue holiness. Those of you who have joined grace... Or if you're a member of a PCA church, uh, you've taken a vow to live as becomes a follower of Christ. To live as becomes a follower of Christ. That is pursuing uh, what it means to pursue holiness. So what does this mean in the context of, of Hebrews 12? What does it look like more specifically? In short, it means that we can never, ever make peace with sin. We can never, ever make peace with sin. Even that little sin that we might find some contentment in. Sin weighs us down. 
To borrow the imagery from the NIV, sin entangles. Think of a, you know, a fishing lure. Who, who hasn't fished before and gotten a lure you know, caught in a tree? And just the, the tangle uh, that you get. Or, or think about, um, I, was, I was doing laundry yesterday, and think about how, how um, sometimes in the washing machine, how sheets, like bed sheets, get the, that twist, and they get all tangled with each other, and it's maddening, you know, sort of getting them out, right? Think of that entangling there. Think of, worse yet, think of, you know, Christmas lights, when you get them out of the Rubbermaid container, and how entangled they are. Um, sin entangles. That's the sort of effect that it has on the believer. Our gossip about others, it weighs us down and entangles us as we forsake truth for our own gain. Our coveting what others have, what others have it weighs us down and entangles us as we grow discontent with what we do have. Our anger, it weighs us down and entangles us as we take our frustration out uh, upon others, usually those that we love. Our pride, it weighs us down and entangles us as we think too highly of ourselves and too lowly of others. In these and in countless other ways in our lives, they're like wearing a ski jacket on a hot summer's day run. Okay? Gossip, coveting, anger, pride, these are hindrances that we can never make peace with as believers. We must lay them aside. The Christian cannot make peace with sin. It weighs us down. It entangles us. It catches us in its snare. So according to the writer, again, talking here about how does faith endure? Okay, the writer has said here that enduring faith is best nurtured when with one hand we lay aside every weight, the sin that so easily entangles. But it's also best nurtured when with the other hand that we are running with endurance, looking to Jesus. Endurance racing is not a sprint, keep in mind, of course. It, it, it's a marathon. Okay? You don't, you don't run, uh, you know, to, to, um, to complete a marathon, you don't run the first mile like you would if you were only running a mile, okay? Endurance racing is, a, is, a, is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And to run this race of endurance, or to run it with endurance, to finish this race with a, with a strong kick, we press forward in faith, in faith. Uh, in those very things that nurture strong faith. Those are, the, those are the, the means of grace. Maybe you've heard Justin or David or anyone else, your, your, your home pastor, talk about the means of grace, things like Bible study, prayer, worship, the sacraments. Okay? These are the fuel, we might say, to keep us going, to run with endurance, the race that is set before us. As cliche as it might sound for me to say how important these things are, you have to understand there's no way around it. There's no new novel idea that's going to help you endure in faith. It's, it's no more cliche than telling some elite athlete 
uh, how important you know her rest or her training or her her um, her diet are to her success. Of course, you tell an elite athlete those things. Those are vital to an athlete's success. In much the same way that things like Bible study and prayer and sacraments, worship, uh, fellowship with other believers, these things are vital to us as we run with endurance. And all the while, we run with this with this sense of of, of um, with this sense of urgency, we look to Jesus. Okay, He is the author. He is the perfecter of our faith. You know, to look to Jesus is to remember the mercies of God as we run, offering ourselves as living sacrifices, as Paul says. To look to Jesus as we run is to believe that He is our righteousness, that He is our sanctification. As I said earlier, to look to Jesus is to consider him uh, who endured so as not to grow weary. I'm talking about verse 3. To look to Jesus is to consider him who endured so as not to grow weary or faint hearted. By the way, this is why this is why pride, the pride that I mentioned earlier. This is why it's so insidious to a believer. You see, pride doesn't look to another. Pride has no interest in looking to another. It's self-reliant. It's autonomous. Pride justifies through self. Pride doesn't justify through another. Uh, Psalm 10, verse 4 says it best. In his pride, the wicked does not seek him, does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. While we must lay aside the pride that hinders us as we run with endurance, we must look to Jesus as we do so. If we do not look to Him, we run in vain as we look to ourselves and not Jesus. You know, as I began today, I told you that I wanted to encourage you to endure in your faith because the life of faith is a very, very hard life at times. And it is easy to grow discouraged And along these lines, just one more um, line of application that I want to maybe tease out a little bit more. Um, It has to do with uh, the danger that apathy is to enduring faith. It is very easy to grow apathetic in the Christian life. And by that, I mean sort of spiritual lethargy, boredom, spiritual boredom, you might say. There's no doubt that spiritual apathy is something that we all face at times, and it is a grave hindrance to the race of faith for every one of us here. It's a hindrance that we have to lay aside with one hand, praying fervently for the Spirit to restore to us the joy of our salvation. We must never be satisfied with a cold, lethargic faith, though at times we're all going to experience but experience it, but we must run with endurance and faith even during those times. And this is why it is especially important that we look to Jesus in those times, the author and perfecter of our faith, because perhaps there's no, there's no uh, single cure to spiritual apathy, something that we all know all so well. There's no cure that's as effective as looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's read verse 3 again. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Okay? Growing weary or faint-hearted, this idea of spiritual apathy there. It says consider him. Look to him. Okay? 
who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. You see, good thing for us, um, apathy had little place in our Lord's heart. The text says that it was for the joy that was set before Jesus that he endured the cross. He was unshaken by the shame of the cross. At Gethsemane and at the cross, Jesus submitted because zealous was his love for the Father. Zealous was his love even for you. In spite of your apathy, in spite of your pride or your anger, your gossip. For you and I to lay aside spiritual apathy and the other sins of our lives and run with endurance, we have got to rub shoulders with Jesus anew. We must look to him and remember those great words from, uh, from John in, in his first letter. See what kind of love the Father has for us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. It's like the, uh, the, the, the sermon uh, by a guy named Th- Thomas Chalmers. The prevention and cure to apathy is the power of a new affection. Okay? The cure to apathy, the cure to, to and, and the prevention of it is the power of a new affection, this new affection that comes in and flushes out uh, the old. And it's an affection that we find when we look to Jesus. Having said of all, all this as we close today, I know that there's more that hinders your faith than, than pride, than apathy, than anger. You know, our hearts, to quote Calvin again, our hearts are the very factory of idols. Our hearts are a very factory of idols. That we, uh, these idols that we love more dearly than we love Jesus. Okay? But as you think about applying this text... And you, Uh, to your own life, I want you to ask this question. What hinders my faith in Jesus? If it's not anger, if it's not gossip, or it's not apathy, ask this question of yourself. What hinders my faith in Jesus? What sin entangles me in my walk with Christ? What sin is it sort of, you know, Christmas lights kind of wrapped around my feet? that prevent me from walking with Christ. The world and the flesh and the devil will do whatever it takes to hinder your run. These three great enemies to our souls, they know that faith is hard. They know that faith is unseen. Whereas hindrances are not. Sins are are, are not. They want nothing more than for you to stop well short of the finish line, sort of hunched over, gasping for breath, Using, using hindrances both great and small. Along these lines, I remember the words of, um, of Uncle Screwtape in C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters. A screwtape Letters are a, you know, a, this sort of fictitious, this imaginary um, account between uh, an older seasoned demon by the name of Uncle uh, Screwtape, and he's writing to his nephew, whose name is Wormwood, and so the, the, more, uh, the older seasoned demon says this to his young demon nephew, Wormwood. He says, you will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy, from God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light 
and out into the nothing. Again, it does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their accumulative effect is to edge the man away from the life and out into the nothing. Today, what hinders your faith in Jesus? What sins edge you away from the light and out into the nothing? By the grace and power of Jesus Christ at work in you, may God strengthen you to lay aside in faith every weight, the sin that easily entangles you, And may you run with endurance, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray and ask his work in us. Our God, indeed, uh, we need your Spirit. We need your Spirit empowering us to be aware of the sin of our lives. Perhaps sin that only we are aware of. We pray, O Lord, that you would bring those things out into the light. And that by your Spirit's empowering of us, that we would lay aside that weight that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us, and also by your Spirit's power, that we would um, avail ourselves to the means of your grace and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. May we consider Him this morning so that we do not grow weary or faint-hearted. Our Father, so work in us, we pray, for we ask in His name, His matchless name, Jesus. Amen.